0: Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for Colossians 1, 1 to 17. The truth that is held in these passages are life changing. And I pray for each one in here that you would move by your Spirit to not only allow us to hear and understand and see, but rather to be doers of your word and not just hearers. I do pray for a perception and understanding, and illumination, and attentiveness, and a gripping of your Spirit on our souls. But Father, more so, would you enable us and empower us by your Spirit to live out what we learn tonight. May this not be informational, but transformational, as our minds are renewed once again. We thank you for the gift of your Word. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark as to who you are and what you expect and how life works in, you, in the world you've made. Thank you for giving us your word and thank you now that we could be under your word and in it. We ask, be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Colossians 3, 1-4, I'll read verses 1-4 to 4 and we'll jump in. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So verse 1 of chapter 3 starts like this. If then you have been raised with Christ, or since then you have been raised with Christ, what, what is he talking about? If then you have been raised with Christ. So he's pointing to something he said earlier, right? Being raised with Christ. If this is true, then he's going to launch into a command. Seek the things that are above. That if you have been raised with Christ is pointing to the gospel. And here it is found in Colossians 2, 12 to 13. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. That's the gospel. We were dead in sins, not spiritually alive, dead to God. That means, not that you didn't understand the Bible, or you didn't understand the claims of Christianity, but it wasn't alive to you. It was not... Uh, affectionate to you. It did not warm your heart. It was boring or maybe fearful. Like me, I, brought, I was brought up in a Christian home. Uh, from the time I was weeks old, I was under the gospel. And when I turned about 11, 12, 13-ish, I said, I'm going my own way, for I am in love with the darkness. I couldn't have articulated it that way, but that's the way I went. And when I heard the gospel, I feared judgment. Judgment. It didn't rise up. It didn't cause affections for Jesus and thanks and worship. It caused fear and running into the darkness, just like Jesus said it would. Men love darkness rather than light, and they will not come into the light for fear. Their deeds will be exposed. John 3, 19. And that was my experience. That's what being dead in sin is. It's either you could care less. This is boring. This is not exciting. This means nothing to me. I could go without. Or, like me, being dead Running in judgment. I believed, but I was not born again, and so God was my judge, I was dead and headed for eternal death. But in God's grace, John 6 44, he drew me to himself. He compelled me to himself, he enabled me to have faith. That's what Colossians 2, 12 to 13 says. Listen, buried with him in baptism, okay, Jesus died and the Physical act of water baptism displays the spiritual reality. Colossians 2, 12 to 13, is not talking about water baptism. It's talking about the spiritual reality that water baptism symbolizes. We go under the water, being buried with Jesus. Dead, the old you, dead. Praise God. Alive, come up out of the water. Live. And you're alive in Christ. How? By faith by believing that Jesus was who he said he was, by believing that he accomplished in your place fulfillment of the law and negatively taking your sin on the cross. Believing that that was for you. Not, yeah, I believe that, but believe it for you. Turn from your sin that you love so much and to God and start walking towards him. And listen, the more you walk towards him, the more you face him, the more you will be transformed. We'll get there in a minute. So, if then you've been raised with Christ, baptism being the picture, what should we do? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see, what is above? Mainly Christ and all things flowing from Him. All right, so, here's what I want you to get. When we, when we think of a text like this, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of earth. When we think about the things of earth, now we have this contrast and this battle in our heads because we have a love affair with creation, which is actually not a bad thing, if it's not idolatrous. You remember Romans 1, they worshiped and served, created things rather than the creator. That's a problem. But God created all things, including the human body, and all of its nakedness, and all of its sexuality, and he created... So so let let me just give you a list here. God created sex, economics, oceans, aquatic life, solar systems, galaxies, color, beauty, a range of foods that we enjoy, friendship, marital love, children. Technology was in his will. Does anything come about that was not God's will? Hmm? Is Ephesians 1.11 true? You know Ephesians 1.11. In him, Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Unqualified, God works all things, including any technology that arises, according to his will. So Apple was in the mind of God, praise God, in eternity past. Who gave Steve Jobs the creative genius and entrepreneurial aptitude and ferociousness of uh, all that was Steve Jobs. Well, God did. It's called common grace. We'll get there in a minute. So technology has come into being. Even technology that's used for evil purposes, God has willed that it come into being or it would not be here. Okay? That being said, we think about all of the goodness of this creation... And now we feel like we have to like do purposeful diminishing of matter in order to do what we're being commanded to do. I mean, that would not be a correct interpretation of this text. So what do I mean? I mean, you go to Chick-fil-A. Any Chick-fil-A lovers in the house? I am that dude. Okay. And I heard to my dismay that the spicy chicken sandwich is going away. Why? Why? Why You know, that, that is a loss if there ever was one. You too? Yeah, man. If that's true, I might have to boycott, man. I might have to be out there with a sign picketing. Bring back the spice. Um, but the idea is not this. I go through the drive-thru. I get that glorious peachy milkshake. Any peachy milkshake people in here? Yes. And then here, and then, but wait, but wait. But what comes to mind is, wait. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. And I'm looking at this glorious thing of earth here. And now I have to try to minimize the the taste and the wonder and the glory of the spicy chicken sandwich and the peachy milkshake. Is that a correct interpretation? And rather, think on God. This is just nourishment to my body. That's it. And as I taste it and and I'm enjoying, stop, stop it. Stop enjoying that. Like, no, we are not uh, masochists and Stoics and monks who try to eat grass for the sake of setting our minds on things above. Okay. God created all things to be enjoyed, 1 Timothy, if it is consecrated in prayer. He, God has given us the gifts of friends and family and food. And So what is this saying? This is saying... That when you experience daily life in this world, you need to figure out a way to relate everything to God. That's what he... So, you taste the spicy chicken sandwich. Who thought up of chicken? Jesus. That's fantastic. Okay? Who thought up peach and milk and whipped cream? And then you could throw that stuff together in one of those... And then you get to put that in your mouth with a little cherry on top. Jesus had peachy Chick-fil-A milkshakes in his mind before it came into being. You realize that. Otherwise, it wouldn't have came into being. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, including peachy Chick-fil-A milkshakes. Unless you think I'm just making fun, I'm trying to bring this very much down to your daily living. When I brew my coffee in the morning, who thought up coffee beans? Who gave the intelligence to roasters and to make degrees of burntness in the beans and to, to have different regions of coffee taste differently? That's a real thing. Okay? Who made grapes for grape juice? And then, you know, you could ferment that stuff and it turns into wine for your heart to be glad, not for you to get drunk. You do realize the scriptures say God made wine to gladden the heart doesn't say God made wine to make one drunk and throw up in the morning and call off work. See, God has given you good things to enjoy. But listen, our affections cannot end and terminate on the created thing. That's what we're forbidden. We can't worship and serve these created things. They have to hit the created thing and your affection needs to bounce up. So think of created things as signposts. What is the purpose of a sign on the turnpike? So you're hitting New Stanton, and you get to the the two-mile marker, and it says, New Stanton exit, two miles. Your goal, if you're going to New Stanton, is New Stanton. Your goal is not the sign. The sign is pointing beyond itself to what is coming. In the same way, the created things are signs that point beyond themselves to God himself. We don't stop at the sign on the turnpike, pull over, and just hang out. That would be dumb. Look, oh, there's the sign. Mm -hmm. No, it's showing you that what you're looking for is coming up. And in the same way, when God gives you a good thing in creation, it's a preview of the good thing to come. God himself, the author. It's a foretaste. It's an appetizer. All of it. And, And listen, if you're diligent to enjoy all the gifts that God has given you, it can be worship. That's what it was meant for. Our struggle in this 2017 is we find this tension between enjoyment and worship and then enjoyment and worship of God. But yet, we can enjoy and worship God through the gifts that He's given us. But we don't want our love and affection to terminate on the gift itself. That would be idolatry. So in this present fallen world, we need to do a lot of diligence in being conscious about whatever we do, doing it unto the glory of God. Okay? But listen, the new heavens and the new earth, the promises, the glory of God and all that we do, the enjoyment of all the matter and all of the gifts of the new heavens and the new earth, the glory of God and the enjoyment of it will be one and the same without effort. But we're not there yet. So we have to strive for this now. Okay, okay. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Isaiah 46, 9-10 says this, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. You see, we, we serve a God in the heavens, our God, who declares the end from the beginning. All that is, in his mind, declared before it comes into being. So what does that mean for you today? What's going on in your life that you're just super upset about? You just can't reconcile with? That you're stumbling over? Listen, do you realize that God, in his sovereignty, has allowed this to come into your life for a good purpose, whatever it is? Wherever you find yourself, whatever trial, whatever struggle, whatever temptation, whatever thing you keep falling into, that reoccurring habitual sin pattern, God has allowed that to continue in your life for a reason. Why? Because he wants you to seek him. He wants you to seek him for help and for himself. Set your minds on things that are above and not on earth. So James, this is verse 2, James one seventeen tells us this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is common grace. You see, God has given us... Every good thing to enjoy, but he gives it in such a way where it's cast across all humanity without finding fault. Christian and non, wicked and righteous, not righteous in the sense of earning your salvation, but righteous in the sense of living rightly by the power of the Spirit according to God's word. Common grace is that God casts gifts of musical talent and artistry and good food and rain and family and laughter and fun across creation without finding fault. James tells us every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. So the things of the earth have to be the sinful things. And he's going to go into that in the next set of verses. So we know this is what he's talking about. The things of earth are not the things that are the good things, the gifts. The things of earth are the things that are dark, that are sinful, that are opposed to God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the sin that so easily entangles you. You can either set your mind on that stuff. You do know that you invite temptation into your life when you don't actively fight it. What do you mean? I mean... If you struggle with getting drunk, what are you doing going to the bar? Like, why are you hanging out with her when you know that's all she does? Like, if you know you have a lust problem, why are you watching that? What are you doing? You're saying, come on in, temptation. I've opened the door. I've opened all the windows. Just come on in. We do this! We invite it into our lives and we wonder why we're struggling and falling over temptation is because we're not taking steps to eliminate temptation. Why? We're not setting our minds on things above. We're setting our minds on things of the earth. Sinful things. Things that are opposed to God. Things that God's wrath has visited Jesus for. Okay? Listen. Earthly ambition for your glory and for your embetterment alone is a sinful thing that God does not appreciate or say, amen, good job, keep going. That's not love for God or love for neighbor. It's selfish ambition and he condemns it. That's a thing of the earth. Why do you get up in the morning? What is your whole life about? What is the trajectory of your daily living? Is it for God's glory, for love for God, for love of neighbor, or is it all about you? If it's all about you every day, then listen, friends, your mindset, set your minds on, mindset is on the earth. Not good. And we need woken up. We need shaken out of our sleep. We need cold water in the face so we see, like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize this was a problem. As Paul Tripp says, we're blind to our blindness, we need to be awakened. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died. Died to what? Died to the things of the earth. And your life, the truest sense of you now, is hidden with Christ in God. So, I want to talk about setting your mind very quickly. Sinclair Ferguson is a fantastic theologian, preacher. Uh, He said this, What does it mean to set your minds on, or mindset? Listen closely. Paul is speaking about the way in which the Spirit engages us in actual activity in the process of our transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Okay, listen to that again. Paul, when he says, set your minds on, set your minds on, mindset. Paul is speaking about the way, this is how God does it, the way in which the Spirit, the Spirit is the agent of transformation, Engages us, moves in our lives, in actual activity, in the process, this is how God does it, this is the process, of our transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is sanctification. It's you and I becoming more and more like Jesus. Here's Sinclair again. Salvation is not something that flies over our heads. Salvation is something that draws us into being saved. And being saved means that we set our minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth. Listen, we are saved from the penalty of sin. When you were born again, you were saved from the penalty of sin. No more hell, no more judgment, justified right before God, righteous in Christ. But listen, we are now being saved from current sin. Praise God that He is still saving us. Do you want to get left where you are now? Are you happy to have God just abandon you and leave you to yourself? Or do you want Him to continue to save you from the power of sin? I want God's power in my life to powerfully save me from current sin. And listen, in the future, we will be saved from the presence of sin completely. I cannot wait I cannot wait until sin is eradicated from Chris Moran. Not able to sin. No more temptation. It's going to be awesome. I woke up this morning to a dream that was not awesome. (laughs) Sin enters my dreams all the time. I was being robbed, and I was ready to, to kill this guy for robbing me. In my dreams, what is that? Is it demonic? Maybe. But you wake up to that, and that's the beginning of your day? Listen, I can't wait to wake up in the new heavens and new earth and yes, we'll be taking naps in eternity. Absolutely. Any nap lovers in the house? Yeah, man. Absolutely. That's a gift from God. If you can lay down in the middle of the day and the lights are still on and doze off for even like 10 minutes, you should fall asleep with a smile on your face. Like, oh yes, gift. This is setting my mind on things above. This is a gift. Father, thank you. (laughs) Naps to the glory of God. That's a real thing. Okay? See, the idea is, this is how, this is the way in which we are being sanctified. This is the process. We set our minds on things that are above. And why? Because we died and our life is now hidden in Christ with God. This is union. Okay? This is the mysterious doctrine of union with Christ. Everything that is now true of Him is now true of you. His righteousness is your righteousness. His life is your life. When Jesus or fa- the Father declares upon Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, that goes to you. This is my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because I'm united to Jesus. And our union with Jesus kills Him. His willingness to unite to us makes him go to the cross and bear all our ugly, all of our sin. But on the other side, our union with him purifies us. It makes us righteous. It is making us righteous. It is sanctifying our minds. That means setting us apart from what? From Satan's sin and death and the world and ourselves. We're being saved. How? We need to set our minds on things above. We need to have a Godward focus in the everyday. Can you do that? With God's help, you can. You can relate everything going on in your day to God and His sovereignty, which says, I declare the end from the beginning. Nothing happens unless it's my will, Ephesians 1.11. Everything that comes your way has passed through God's loving hands. Everything. Every frustration. Every temptation. Though God does not tempt anyone, James tells us, for He cannot be tempted by evil. He still allows temptation to come your way. And if you think that's heretical, think about Jesus. The Spirit led Him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil 40 days. God didn't tempt Him, the devil tempted Him, but the Spirit led Him you don't think we'll be allowed to be led into temptation? It's not God tempting us, but He is allowing us to be led into it. It's a real thing. How are you going to win? You need to set your mind on things above. Why? Because now you're united to Him and your life is hidden with Him. When Christ, who is your life, appears, verse 4, then, then you will also appear with Him in glory. This is what we're waiting for, friends. The glorious transformation of us fully, completely, and totally. So listen, God doesn't hate you if you're a Christian. God doesn't even hate you if you're not a Christian. For God so loved the world that what? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. God's common grace is being poured out day after day after day on the undeserving, you and I included. That's his benevolent love causing the rain and the sun to fall and to rise on the just and the unjust. When He appears, we will appear with Him in glory. So 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18 says this, Now the Lord, who is the Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit. Okay, The Holy Spirit is the Lord. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Freedom from what? From sin and its power. When the Holy Spirit is near, friends, guess what? You can walk in power. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh. How do we we not sin? We walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by our own strength. Paul continues, And we all with unveiled faces. The context is Moses coming off the mountain after meeting with God and his face would shine with God's glory and when it would fade, he would put a veil over his face as to uh, cover up the fading glory and then he would go back up into God's presence and kind of recharge. And he'd come back down off the mountain glowing again and he'd veil himself. But listen, Paul says, not us. Not us. We all, not just Moses, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God are being transformed, praise God, that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's a promise for you and I, that God is in the business of transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. And the means is as we see him, as we set our minds on things above and not on the earth, we are being transformed into his image. And listen, the day is coming when we will see him in full glory and be instantly transformed. How do I know that? 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. So the you that you are right now is not the you that you'll be in eternity. Yes. Is that cause for rejoicing? Or do you look in the mirror like, man, I love you. Girl, you got it going. How do you see yourself? The you that you are right now is not the you that you will be forever. You will be complete and whole and made new and resurrected. Listen, and what we will be is not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. The sight of God in full glory, seeing Jesus literally transforms us. Into the image of Christ. Character and quality. Not cloned stamps. You, but with the character and quality of Jesus. It's going to be awesome. So, listen, you're going to come to me in about, I don't know, if my eschatology is good. Two million years? Is that safe? Like, some think the end is coming in 2020. I'm not that dude. But I think a couple million years is safe. No one's agreeing with me okay and a, you, you are going to be around in a couple million years you realize that what's a couple million years compared to your 70 or 80 here? but then what's a couple million years compared to a never ending amount of time In a couple million years, you're going to come to me and I'm going to be so much kinder, so much more loving, so much more attentive to you in the moment, so much more crisp than I could ever be now. Why? Because I'll see Jesus for who he really is and it will transform me into his likeness and image and you'll be the same way. What is a whole world of people who look like Jesus in character and quality going to be like Everyone you meet will be like Jesus. No more locking your doors. Listen, I used to be a car thief. Not that I would steal your car, but I would steal what was in your car. I was that dude. Um, I I was a wicked foul sinner. I could tell you stories of wickedness for days, but that's not what we're here for. So I used to come into your car, check the, the door. Is it open? Oh, it's open. Time to go shopping. And I would just find whatever was valuable and I would take it, whether it was change or phones or at the time tapes and CDs. I'm an old head. Uh, I would just take whatever I could. But you know what? Now, every time I leave my car, whether I'm in my driveway or I'm in Murrysville or I'm in Fox Chapel or I'm in Wilkinsburg, guess what I do? I lock my car. Why? Because there's me out there. I'm out there. I know how I used to think and I know how they think out there. All over Pittsburgh. But listen, one day... That will not be so anymore. Leave your car door unlocked and leave the windows down without fear. Leave your windows up. Leave So Guardian goes out of business. All the weapons of war beaten into farming equipment. No more having your gun under your pillow for fear that someone's going to break in. I mean, we can't even think in these categories except for imagination. But it's coming. Why? Because... We're going to be so transformed and so love our neighbor that we would never do anything to harm another person. Because love fulfills the law. Love does no harm to neighbor. And your love for God will always be 100% on. You know how some days you're like, man, my love for God is just on today. I feel like I've been plugged into the charger all night. You know, you wake up in the morning and the cell phone's at like 20%. You're like, where's the charger? i got to go to work. Uh, but those days of twenty percent love for God exist too, don't they? And you're like, man, you're dragging. You're like, God, please help and please forgive me. I'm such a turd today. But listen, not in eternity. For we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. This is a call to continually set your minds on things above. How you doing? How you doing? Are you practicing this? Are you walking in the light as He is in the light? Are you focusing your mind on the things of the earth that are bringing you down? Are you focusing on the problems that will probably be gone next week? And if they're not, maybe next month? Where's your focus? Where is your mindset? Are you trusting in God or are you trusting in your circumstances? Are you trusting in yourself or are you trusting in God? Set your minds on things above. Okay. Now, very quickly, and then I promise you, I wanted to take the most time on this first section because I think it's really important. The next two slides, I'm going to plow through, okay? Fear not. Fear not. I am with you, (laughs) okay? I know, I know that you grow weary, okay? Bear with me. Listen, what, what are you, what are you doing to enable this in your daily life? We have to make this applicable. So we're talking about the means of grace now. So here's, here's some questions, and then by answering these questions, I'm also making suggestions for you as to how to do this, how to set your minds on things above. Okay? Are you doing regular Bible reading? Best daily, but every other day maybe? Like, are you reading your Bible? Are you listening to your Bible? Your, your Bible app has audio. You know that, right? I don't care which one you have. They all have audio now. You have no excuse. You can go on YouTube and type in audio Bible, and it will come up. There's just no excuse anymore. I don't have time. You drive around, and you can't do anything but drive when you're driving. You can listen to the Bible, <laughs> right? Like, technology has now pulled the excuse rug out from every one of us. You can brush your teeth while Ecclesiastes is on. And you better be brushing your teeth, right? Twice a day. All right. Regular Bible reading. Consistent, listen, consistent ongoing prayer in the sense of pray without ceasing. Are you praying throughout the day? Every day. Are you praying? Are you listening to or reading good gospel-centered books? We live in a day and age where the gospel-centered material is just flowing out. Like water on a waterfall. It's just continually coming out. And the audiobooks are so available. So available. So we don't, like, man, I can't, I can't sit there and read. Well, you can listen. And sometimes what I do is I read it while I'm listening. Hit play on iTunes. I was just doing it, I think, today. I was playing Reason for God. And I was listening and watching at the same time. Are you doing uh, good Bible teaching? The, The podcasts are innumerable at this point. You can listen to good gospel Bible teaching every single day if you want. There is no shortage of good free gospel teaching. Are you listening to good theologically sound music? I don't care the style, it's available in every style. Are you listening to good? Gospel-centered, theologically sound music. Are you walking through creation and engaging God through what He's made by trying to get engaged with awe, like awe and wonder? Like walk through His creation and listen for weird animals that freak you out? God, I don't know what that is, but it could probably hurt me, and you're awesome. And because I'm yours, please don't let it hurt me. And just sense the fear that should point to the fear of God. You know what I mean, right? If you're terrified to go in the ocean to the point where you no longer feel the sand under your feet because the big fish that are in there, God's going, who made the fish? Come on. Let the fear go up. But yet he's yours and he's promised that he will be with you. That's not a call to be foolish. It's a call to enjoy him and be in awe of him through what he's made. Are you walking through creation? Are you visiting amazing places and allowing the glory of God to land on you in a way that you feel small and he gets bigger in your experience? Are you doing that? Are you fellowshipping with other Christians? Are you isolated? Have you bought into the individualistic culture that we live in that says go and huddle with Netflix and you'll be fine and happy and fulfilled and you'll find joy and peace in Hulu? Is that you? Or are you intentionally seeking out relationships with other Christians that are going to spur you on to love and good deeds? That's a means of grace. How about using the spiritual gifts God has given you to bless other people? You know God's given you gifts, not for you, but for others. And if you're not using the gifts God has given you to bless others, what are you you doing? You're wasting what He's given you. You have gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you to bless others. Are you doing that? Listen, I could go on and on and on, but I'm not going to. Are you doing any of these means of grace that will help you set your minds on things above and not on things of the earth? Are you doing any of those means of grace? What stirs your heart to set your minds on things above All right, let's move to the next slide. Now we're going to move fast. Okay. Put to death. Now this is the very, very practical after the theological. This is Paul's normal pattern in Ephesians. He moves in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Heavy, heavy theology. Boom, 4 and on. Practical. Romans 1 to 12. Heavy, heavy theology. 12 and on. Super practical. Well, here we go. Put to death, therefore... Therefore, points to all that just came before. Set your minds on things above. You've been raised with Christ. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. Now we know what he's talking about, the things of earth, don't we? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now listen, you need to pay attention to this list because if you find yourself in this list, You have a direct word from God in this moment for you to do something. You realize that, right? When the word of God is truly read, it's God's word to you. If you find yourself sexually immoral, what does that mean? Any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage, including what you look at and imagine. Well, that kind of engulfs all of us. Yeah. What's the command then for all of us, if that's all of us? Put it to death. Kill it. Romans 8, 13. By the Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body, and we will live. What about immorality? Sexual immorality. Any kind of like, like this is so sweeping, friends, that even what the old translation says, coarse jesting coarse jesting that's weird coarse meaning rough jesting meaning joking rough joking sexual jokes we hear them all day every day and some of us just let them fly out of our mouths as if it's not offensive to God listen here's what I do this is just a little bit of help how to be whimsome and kind of not judge people who are throwing those sex jokes out all the time because you live in the same world I do I know you do the other day I was with a friend who's certainly not a Christian and you should have friends that are not Christians and you should be around them and it should make you uncomfortable because when a sex joke gets thrown your way, you know what I just pretend I do? I pretend I didn't even get it. It just went over my head. So I don't laugh. I don't say, oh yeah. I just, I'm, I weirdly, awkwardly change the subject as if I had no idea what he was talking about. Rather than going, you know you're going to burn in hell for that, bro. Now, if you've got a good relationship with the person, maybe you can go there. Like, okay, you know who you're talking to. But for me, I, I just watched this dude go, he, in his head, he's going, he really didn't get that, did he? And it just dropped. It went no further. Like, it was a joke that got thrown out there. I didn't catch it, and boom, it was done. <laughs> no more. Now, you've got to ask God how you can avoid that in your life. I'm tempted to tell you one more story, but there's little ones here. And it might be too rough. It might be too rough. Alright, I'll tell it to you. So so, so here, here, here was I was in a shop and with construction workers. None of them are Christians. I'm the Christian. They know I'm a Christian. And it was something like this. They're talking about coarse jesting things and they were talking about sleeping in a bed, you can guess the rest. And, and I said, to kind of break up the foulness, I said, hey, I, uh, I woke up with two beautiful women this morning, and all their heads were like, what? Really? Yeah. My wife and my daughter. Oh, really? And guess what? It died. It just killed it. And it wasn't so offensive. I wasn't like, you're going to hell, and you're going to hell, and you're going to hell, and you're definitely going to hell for that. Now, that's, that may be true, but I, but I don't think that's what we're called to do, friends. Okay? I think we're called to stand out like a light in a dark place. And how do we do that? I think we do that with wisdom and winsomeness, finding ways to just shut it down. Okay, let's move on. Impurity. That's a sweeping word. Anything that's not pure. Is there anything in your life, your language, your joking, your lifestyle, what you watch, what you listen to, is any of it not pure in the sense that it's causing you to stumble? It's causing you to set your minds on things that are on earth. What about passion? This is uncontrolled urges. Just you have passion for not God and for sin, and it's just uncontrolled. Over desires, we could call it. Evil desire, desire for evil things, and covetousness. Covetousness is one of those uh, commands, there's 10 of them, and it's idolatry, which means the worship of things that are not God. What does that mean? How, How can covetousness be idolatry? It's because when you look at something someone else has, and you want it so bad that you're actually mad that they have it and you don't, you're also saying to God, you're not a good God because you haven't given me what will ultimately satisfy that's idolatry. You're saying if you would give me that, I would be happy, God, as if He's not enough. That's idolatry. You, you you say, I worship that, God, if you will give me that, I will find fulfillment and joy. Friends, that's an idol. Looking to something that God has made to give you ultimate fulfillment and purpose is idolatry. God is supposed to fill that spot, and he's the only one that actually can. So let's get real practical. Boyfriend, girlfriend, children, if you don't have children, a better husband, a more loving husband. I mean, what, what is it that you say to God? I will not be happy unless you give me that and I want what they have. And if I could just have what they have, I would be happy. Which is idolatry? On the count of these, the wrath of God is coming. So, this is how serious it is. God's wrath is coming upon men and women because of that list. Why would we want to engage in that list when it's going to cause the wrath of God to come upon people? And if you're a Christian, it caused the wrath of God to come upon Jesus in your place. In these, verse 7, you too once walked. So yeah, that was us before. Before Christ, that was us. We lived in that list and loved it. In these, you once walked. When? When? When you were living in them. But now, this is the difference. But now, you must put them all away. And then he expands the list. Anger. Anyone have an anger problem? You know the outburst of anger is one of the marks of the flesh in Galatians 5? You want to see when the Holy Spirit's not in control? Let's see an outburst of anger. Whether in words or inside of you. You know what it feels like. The blood pressure starts going up. You get that cramp in your chest and you feel power coming into your muscles. Right? like What you would have been tired to lift that was heavy before, you could just, what is going on? Because anger gives a power to you, and some people use it for their advantage, because it makes people fear them. They, they destroy things with their anger, like windows and walls and doors and pets. You know. Anger, put it away, Paul says. Wrath, that's anger intensified, drinking Red Bull. Malice, malice is malicious plotting for the downfall of other people. Malice, it's, it's wicked intent directed at someone else. Slander, that means you gossiping about other people for the purpose of bringing their reputation down in the person's mind that you're talking to. I know, I'll get them. Did you hear what so-and-so did to so-and-so? And what are you doing? You're slandering them. You're gossiping them because you want to get at them by bringing their reputation down in someone else's mind. It's wicked. It's wicked, guys. And what we're trying to do by that without even thinking about it is we're trying to inflict pain on them for whatever they did to us. Like, I'll make them pay for what they did and we slander and we gossip and and we should not be living in slander. Obscene talk from your mouth. I think we've already discussed that. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Listen, God is truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth. Truth is a reality in the world, but truth is a person. His name is Jesus. When we lie, guess what? We speak the language of the devil. You're of your father, the devil. When he lies, he speaks his native language. John 8, 44. Friends, when we engage in lie, it's anti-God and it's pro-Satan. He's the father of lies. It's his language. We used to live in lies. Why? Because they helped us. They either protected us from punishment or we lied and manipulated and got our own way. We lie for a negative and we lie for the positive. But no more. Lying. And this is important. Seeing that you have passed Put off the old self with its practices. This is is how you set your mind on things above. You remember that you died. That you that used to live in those lists is now dead. And a new you is alive. If anyone is in Christ, he, she is a what? New creature, new creation. The old has passed away, dead and buried. The new has come, resurrected. So you need to continually remind yourself when that happens, it's going to happen. That person's dead. Why are they still living in my experience right now? God, forgive me. Help me to put that to death as it actually is dead. Live out what is the reality spiritually. And here's positively, having put on the new self which is being renewed, praise God, in knowledge after the image of its creator. You are new, and the idea is you don't want to walk in the shoes and in the clothing, in the person, if you will, of the old you. Why? Because you're new, and that person is dead and buried. And the hope is this new person is continually being renewed. How? In knowledge. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind is finding out more and more what God's will is revealed in the scripture, and then living in that will by the power of His Holy Spirit, knowing that, yes, this is the best way to walk in God's world, God's way. If I didn't live in these passions and impurity and sexual immorality and evil desire and covetousness, if I put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, if I stopped lying, my life would be so much better. I would actually be happier and more joyful. You would. So we need to remember that we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, Jesus Christ, as we saw in one fifteen. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Verse 11 is a very important verse. Barbarian was a derogatory term that Greeks would Give to anyone who was not Greek cultured, did not speak the Greek language, that was not philosophical, like those fools, those ignorant barbarians. And when, when people would talk to the Greeks, it sounded like bar, 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 barbarians. It was ethnic arrogance heightened. I am Greek, I am Greek cultured, the rest of you, inferior. Scythians, John MacArthur says, they were an ancient, nomadic, warlike people that invaded the Fertile Crescent in the 7th century BC. Noted for their savagery, they were the most feared and hated of all the so called barbarians. Friends, what Paul is saying here is here, here, where? In Christ, united to him. All of the old dividing lines are now gone. All of the old divisions are no more. What does that mean? That means whether you're a Greek or a Jew, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you're a barbarian or a Scythian, whether you're a slave, that word slave there is not American race-based kidnapping slavery. A different kind of slavery. All through the Old Testament, there were laws about slaves and being freed after so many years and giving yourself to a person for a debt. In New Testament, debt slavery was a real thing. Okay, so don't think when you see that, American race-based historical slavery, that's not what it's talking about. Okay? Whether slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. That means that wherever you find yourself in Christ, you are equal equality friends at the realest level therefore in your minds if you see inequality in any other person you think yourself superior for any other dividing line you're, you're in sin and you need to repent you need to turn from that ugly way of seeing the world and seeing yourself rooted in pride and turn to god for help to not look down on other people made in his image Amen? Galatians, Paul tells us the same thing in 3.27 and 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, there's a distinction, baptized into Christ, we talked about that. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's that new self. You've put on Christ. You're united to Him. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There are neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now that doesn't mean that we're all genderless or we're all Christians and not American or not Irish American, German American, African American, Asian American. It doesn't mean that. What it means is those are no longer the most important thing that defines you. You're in Christness. You're united to Him. That's what defines you above all other things. And listen, friends, when this is a reality for you, when your identity is deeply rooted in Christ, and you realize that all other people, Christian or not, are actually made in His image, and that's what gives them value and worth, you will stop looking down on other people. No matter how messed up they are you will stop comparing yourself to them and being arrogant towards them in your mind. And the more you realize that we as Christians are united in Christ, the more we will be able to show love to one another, realizing that all those old dividing lines, all the walls that society and culture puts up, they're down for us. The outside culture should be able to come into the church and see a love for one another that blows their minds such that they say, surely these people are disciples of Christ. They will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. How will we do this? We will do this by realizing that in Christ, these distinctions, even the worst of the worst, the Scythian, the violent, the ultra-violent, in Christ, that person is no longer a Scythian. They're dead, buried and they're alive in christ and this is real for them they're being renewed in knowledge after the image of their creator friends there's hope for everyone god can grab the worst of the worst in your family of your friends your neighbors if he is not able he is not god all right let's quickly move on and and we're done let's go to the next slide and we're going to plow through this one and we're done Ready? Put on then. Now we have a, a positive putting on. As God's chosen ones, chosen before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1, holy and blameless, compassionate hearts. Having compassion for someone is not only feeling their situation, but then being willing to enter into it and act. Compassion is, Jesus had compassion for the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do? He fed them. He healed them. He taught them. He took action. Put on then as God's chosen ones, united in Christ, holy and beloved. That's who we are now. Compassionate hearts. Heart motivational center of you. Be compassionate. Why? Because God has been so compassionate to you. Be kind. Be humble. Be meek. And patient. This one's hard. I think of that whole list, patience may be the hardest. Because if you have children, you know how easy it is for patience to go out the window in a second. Evan's going, yep. Or if you're married, you know how easy it is for patience to just, they could say that one thing, that one word the forbidden word or the forbidden phrase, and all of a sudden, the patience that you had a second ago is gone. And now the anger is filling you up. What do we do when we're patient? We bear with one another. Bearing with one another means you have an issue that I need to come under. Like, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6. That means if you have a burden that's too heavy for you to carry, I literally need to get into your shoes and get up under that with you and help you bear it. Meaning, I have to enter into your situation. I cannot stand from a distance and say, oh, I pray that God helps you. (laughs) Bearing one another's burdens is actually entering into the mess, and that's going to need you to call out to God for much patience and much wisdom and much grace because are we not all a mess? Man, what if God was not patient with you in your mess? Can we not show that same love to others by entering into their mess and not throwing the towel in when it's been a week and nothing nothing's different? Friends, we need the help of God to bear with one another. If one has a complaint against another, how easy is it to complain? natural, it almost comes out without even trying. Complain, complain. So if anyone has a complaint about someone else, what should we do? What should we do? We should forgive each other. And every time you see forgive someone in the New Testament, it's always backed up with because you've been forgiven. Right? Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How in the world are we going to forgive people that hurt us and wrong us? We remembered constantly that we hurt and wronged God and he forgave us a much greater debt than that person owes you right now. And as you've been forgiven, as you realize the depth of your forgiveness from God, you can extend that same forgiveness to other people for that little tiny debt that they owe you. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Gospel, forgiveness and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony love is the greatest commandment and it's the first fruit of the holy spirit love does no wrong to a neighbor if you could legitimately with the power of the holy spirit love people you would never do any wrong to them love even covers up a multitude of sins peter tells us in other words, let's say, let's say that someone you know has a massive amount of sins, but you have love for them. Your desire is not to go out and blow them up to everyone you meet. Why? Because you love them. You want to protect them. It doesn't mean we, we engage in scandal and cover-up that's criminal. But I protect you because I love you. I know you're a mess, and I'm not going to spread your mess to other people. Why? Because I love you and I want to protect your reputation. Love covers a multitude of sins. I can bear with someone who is not changing. Why? Because I love them and I know that God has promised that He will finish what He started, Philippians 1.6. So I can walk with you while you're not changing, knowing that if you're a Christian, God will ultimately change you. Love binds everything together in perfect harmony. 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. The body is to be a place of peace, the church. And the peace of Christ is to rule over our hearts. Our hearts are restless. Our hearts are troubled. Our hearts are anxious. And the call is for you to have peace in your hearts. How? God is in control. God is at work. He has promised me he won't leave me or forsake me. He has died for me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Therefore, God, you know what's going on right now. Help me to be at peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then he gives us a help for this, to which indeed you were called. You were called to peace. The church is to be a place of unity and peace and be thankful. Now, now you guys know me. I, I, I can't help but stop on the thankful verse because this is a practice that if you will engage in being thankful, your life will change. Friends, there's non Christians, brain neuroscience guys, who have now found that if you can habitually find things in your life to be thankful, your happiness levels will go up. They're not Christian. They have happiness thankful journals. You know this, right? But this is biblical. Be thankful. That means you should practice thankfulness every day and that could help you with your praying without ceasing. Man, God, thank you for, for getting me up. God, thank you for this shower. God, thank you for this coffee. God, thank you for my wife. God, And on and on and on. And your mind will begin to gravitate towards finding things to be thankful for. It'll be habitual. And all of a sudden, you're, just, you're seeing things to be thankful for everywhere you go all the time. And everyone's looking at you like, how could you be so happy? How are you smiling all the time? Why are you so joyful? You're so thankful. Yeah, I practice that. I really, really like Colossians three fifteen. It's one of my favorite verses. In fact, it's my life verse. I've tattooed it backwards on my forehead, so I see it in the mirror in the morning. And I've memorized it. You know that God is, in Romans 1 is angry because his creation will not give him thanks. It is Romans uh, one twenty one, for, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Being thankful is more than uh, it, it appears to be. It is very important. It's very weighty. Let the word of Christ, what is that? The word of Christ is the gospel. But you could also say the word as in the Bible, which connects to Christ in all of its major themes. So the word of Christ is the gospel and the whole Bible points to Jesus and the gospel. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Your dwelling place is where you live. It's where you hang out. It's where you eat. It's where you sleep. It's where you get a shower. So if the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, richly means in abundance. There's a lot of it. That means that you are constantly practicing the gospel in your head and in your being so much so that it's dwelling in you. The gospel is living in you all the time. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is a call for the saints not just the preacher, to teach and admonish. This is the walk with one another, bear with one another's burdens. This is the uh, encourage one another daily so that we won't fall into temptation and sin. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, you know that there is something about music that is memorable, my daughter is able to memorize uh, the New City Catechism because of the songs, really. Because if I start singing it the way they sing it, all of a sudden it jogs her memory and boom, she can give me the, the catechism answer. And in the same way, I could start the first line of your favorite song and all of a sudden that song is going to come to mind, isn't it? There is something built into our emotions and our spirits and our being that music brings out of us. And it's one of God's greatest gifts to us. And here's the deal, though. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I'm not saying you have to listen to only Christian stuff. That would be legalistic and pharisaic. But is the majority of what you're listening to filling your mind with the word of Christ? So I go into LA Fitnesses at least once a week, maybe every other week, to work, to do upholstery. And there is nothing about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs going on there. Any of you belong to LA Fitness? No one? How about Planet Fitness? Anybody? No one. Okay. I do a ton of gyms. I could start naming gyms, but we're not gym people here, I see. Okay. So when you go into, when you go into a, a Planet Fitness, um, they are very, very slick in their advertising. Like, no judgment zone. Like, no, they they have a lung alert on the wall, this giant bell that supposedly goes off. It's probably just decoration. That if you grunt or if you make noises, it will go off and shame you. When you go into the bathroom, on the mirrors, real big, judgment-free zone. On the equipment, you are welcome. You are a part. (laughs) And you know what's really interesting about their advertising? It works. Because, and I say this in all love, okay? People that really need to be at the gym are at that gym. LA Fitness, on the other hand, advertises a totally different sector of the culture. They're going after the sexy, they're going after the trim, they're going after the ultra fit. Everybody on their walls look like they've been eating salad their whole life. And and listen, it causes those type of people to work out there. And then what they play as music is nothing but sexual hyper music and videos to the point where I go in there it's a prayer festival for me because I'm like God you've got to help me you have to help me or I'm going to sin in these moments I go in there and it's war why the music itself is doing something to my head so I, I literally will put headphones in to ignore the music because I'll start thinking in sinful ways it's tempting there's something about music that is powerful. So are you tempting yourself by listening to music that causes you to want what that music is all about? It's not, it's not rocket science. And if you fill your mind with gospel, and I don't mean the style gospel music, it doesn't matter the style, but gospel-centered music and the Psalms, the, 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 the book in the middle of your Bible, you fill your mind with those types of songs and it will do you spiritual good it's a means of grace for you friends so notice if you're listening to angry aggressive music do you get angry and aggressive yes it, it's meant to do that and in the same way now Paul is giving us some really practical help fill your iPod fill your it's amazing I fill my home with worship music and all of a sudden like the mood calms, the anger goes down, there's more peace. It's like the Holy Spirit came in to visit. There's tension in the car. I'm like, I know what I'm putting on. You know, Boom, I put on some worship music and all of a sudden you can literally feel the tension in the air come down. Anyone else with me? Yeah. Why? Because there's something spiritual about it. Filling your mind with psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. With thankfulness, there it is again, in your hearts to God. Thankfulness is is the theme, it's the attitude. And whatever you do, I love this verse. This is probably my life verse. Whatever you do, in word or deed, whether you're talking to someone, whether I'm speaking on stage or I'm talking to you afterward, or I'm doing something, work, making coffee, You know, eating a snack afterward. Whatever I do, everything, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And there's that giving thanks again. Giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. We are to be doing everything we do for God through Jesus. You do realize that's the command. That is setting your mind on things above, right there. Whatever you do, word or deed, do it all to the glory of God for Him. So I serve you by speaking for God. I'm doing this for God right now, prayerfully, hopefully. And, and it's hopefully benefiting you because His Spirit is moving. And the amazing thing is, is that when I do what I do for God, I'm promised that He will reward me for that. It, it's eternally significant and weighty. That Listen, that makes your every day very weighty, whatever you're doing. Whether you're shooting emails, whether you're making coffee, whether you're visiting with a neighbor, whether you're taking care of little ones that are acting crazy, if you're doing it unto God, it is eternally weighty. Do you realize that? This gives purpose and meaning to everything, whatever you do. Everything is weighty if done unto God. Isn't that beautiful? It means there is no insignificant. There is no insignificant for Christians. Alright, we're going to end this by Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 and I, I would love for this to be our prayer. I would love for this to be our prayer as a church. Speaking of the new covenant, Moses prophesies and the Lord will circumcise your heart. Old Testament, circumcision when it speaks about the heart, it's talking about new covenant regeneration, being born again, new life. We'll circumcise the heart and the heart of your offspring so that what will it result in? you will love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I added the mind and strength. That you may live. Listen, here's what that means, friends. Deuteronomy 30 30 verse 6 means this, that God actually produces love for Him in us. Yes, we're commanded to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but He is the one who fills us with the love to love Him with. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That means that if we pray this, if we say, God, would you increase my love for you? Do you think that's a prayer he's going to answer? If we say, God, would you fill me with love for you in an increasing measure and fill me with love for other people, whether they know you or not, you don't think he's going to answer that prayer? He gives these good gifts when we ask him, and we have not because we ask not, James tells us. And so, may we be ones who are trying, by God's grace, to live out this putting off the old, putting on the new. Not walking in the old self the way you used to walk, the mindset of the old you, but rather walking in this new self, walking in this new light, walking in this new gospel pathway that God has laid out for us. It is the path to joy in life. Let's pray, and we're going to take communion together. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we could... Take a journey through Colossians 1 to 17. Thank you that your word is clear. Oh, so clear. We need your help to live it out. We don't have the strength. We don't have the power. We need you. Help us produce love for yourself in us. And please produce love for others in us that can't help but spill out onto them. And may we have gospel answers for why we live in such a way. Thank you, I pray, help us as we celebrate communion. Let us see Jesus in a greater light and may it transform and change us. It's in his name we pray, amen.